It's my privilege this morning to continue and conclude the sermon series that we've been in for the last several weeks, the sermon series that we've simply been calling Proclaim. We've been calling it Proclaim, and to proclaim simply means to announce, to declare something with authority, with due emphasis to proclaim. What are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming the gospel. Why are we proclaiming the gospel? Because it's our job. Our job, the spiritually mature, understand that their job is to continue the ministry of Jesus, to finish where Jesus left off as he left this earth. And Jesus tells us what his ministry is. He says he's come to preach the gospel to the poor. He's come to heal those who are sick, set free those that are captive. And we get the opportunity to do the stuff. And a big part of doing the stuff that we said week after week is proclaiming, preaching the gospel. And so we opened this series a couple weeks ago by defining the gospel. We continued by talking about what it means to be baptized. And we baptized seven people in this very space. And it was an electric uh, event, experience. And last week, David did a fantastic job of talking about how our lives proclaim the gospel. How just living the abundant life is attractive to others. How our lives proclaim something. We're all proclaiming something. And that when we lean into this thing and when we live the abundant life, we're proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Well, there's another step to this. There's another step to this, and that's actually proclaiming the gospel with our mouths. I know some of you that makes you very nervous, it makes you very anxious, and you were hoping that we would just sort of leap over that, right? But that's really an important part of what it means to proclaim the gospel. It really matters that we open up our mouths and say stuff. And it's really important that the stuff that we say is the stuff of the kingdom. The stuff that we say is the stuff of the hope of heaven. And so we can't get past the necessity of saying something, proclaiming the gospel with our mouths. I'm simply calling this uh, message this morning, go tell it. Go tell it. Now, if you wanted something deep and something just deep in the scriptures, you want something deep... uh, you probably won't get it today. You know, we got a guest speaker coming in next week. Maybe he'll bring something deep. But today, we're going to put this on a very, very low shelf for you because this is so important that I want everybody to grasp it. And I want this stuff to be put into practice tomorrow when you leave out of here, okay? Go tell it. We're going to be looking this morning at Acts chapter 1. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use one of those. If you don't have one at home at all, feel free to take one of those home as a gift from us to you. We'll also be projecting the um, scripture on the screens. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 1. Before I begin this morning, let me pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to bring your word to your people. I thank you for yet another opportunity, Lord, to gather and to worship you to be in the fellowship of your people. Father, I thank you that you count me as a son of yours. I thank you, Lord, that you cared so much for me that you sent somebody my way to tell me about this good news. And Father, would you so compel us to do the same? Father, may, may we not be comfortable just receiving all the time, and may we purpose in our hearts, Lord, to, to pay it forward by sharing this good news with anybody who will listen. So, Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Father, I pray that you would move the preacher uh, out of the way this morning. Lord, would you put your goods on the low shelf this morning so that we could all partake. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1. And so the book of Acts was written uh, by the same person who wrote the book of Luke, and that is Luke. And Luke, uh, as we'll see uh, in today's uh, passage, as well as, you know, if you take some time to read both Luke and Acts, they almost read like one continuing sort of story. But Luke basically is writing this letter to a guy named Theophilus, and basically he's doing a fantastic job, if I might say so, of chronicling, chronicling the life of the early church. So Jesus has his ministry on earth, he's training these disciples, he's teaching them, And so Acts basically is an expression of what happens after Jesus leaves the earth. These guys take his orders, they take his discipleship, and they pay it forward. They go all throughout the world spreading the gospel. And so Acts is just a really good chronicle of what's happened. And we look this morning at the very beginning of this book, how it all started. 
and we'll deal with the uh, whole proclaiming of the gospel with our mouths um, as we work through this today. Acts chapter 1, I'll start at verse 1. In my first book, this is Luke saying, this, this is Luke talking, and he's talking about the, the book of Luke. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. I'll read that again, verse 8. But you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Very interesting passage. Very informative passage. And we see that Luke uh, pins for us an account of the moments that lie between Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus' ascension. Now, when I talk about Jesus' ascension, that's Jesus, as he promised, ascended into heaven to wait there with the Father until his second coming. So what's happened up until now is that Jesus has come to earth, he's had his ministry, he's changed, trained his disciples, he suffered, died, as the scripture said, he was resurrected. And so what Luke is talking to us about here is just this 40-day period that Jesus had come back from the dead, and he spent this 40 days sort of proving to these, these guys that he was legit, that he'd been raised from the dead, establishing his authority, and basically conversing with his disciples, basically giving them their final instructions before he would ascend into heaven um, to, to wait there. And so basically Luke gives us a window into this 40-day period that Jesus sort of stuck around here on earth. And basically what we see from Luke's words is that Jesus is giving his disciples, these apostles, these guys that will go into all the world and spread the gospel, he's giving them a 40-day intensive on the kingdom of God. He's talking with them. He's working with them. And the scripture says, verse 3, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God, the most essential part of the gospel, the most essential part of his message. He's talking to them, conversing with them about the kingdom of God. Now, you'd think at this point it would have sank in by now, and these disciples would be really motivated, that they'd get it, and everything that Jesus said would click, and they'd just go and get after it, right? Clearly, that's not what happened. Verse 6 tells us, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? And they still, you know, they, they still didn't get it. They still thought that Jesus would come and establish an earthly kingdom. They were expecting Jesus to come bust some heads and deal with the Romans who had occupied their land and had embarrassed them and had taken over. They were expecting Jesus to come and just wreck shop. Still didn't understand that Jesus wasn't establishing an earthly kingdom. And they kept asking him, even as he explained the specifics of the kingdom of God. They still didn't get it. And so Jesus takes the time, realizing that he only has a few precious moments here on earth with these guys. He takes some time to put it in a nutshell for them. He sums it up one more time for them, and he replies in response to their question, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, mind your business. You guys are focusing on the wrong things. I'm about to leave here, and you still haven't got it. But I'm going to tell you what you should be focusing on. I'm going to tell you what you should do. I'm going to tell you how you should spend your time. And he continues in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, 
throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus puts it plainly for them, and he puts it plainly for us. What are we to do? Who are we to be? We are to be his witnesses. We're to be his witnesses. And witnesses testify to something. Witnesses give an account, hopefully an authentic account, hopefully a believable, trustworthy account of what they're giving witness to. And so when Jesus says to his boys, you will be my witnesses, he says you will be, you'll be able to testify to who I am and to what I stand for. You will testify. You will be my witnesses. And so he also answers the question, where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And basically what Jesus is saying is that you will be my witnesses near and far away. Here, near, and far away. Jerusalem, the seat of religious life, where they actually were. You will minister the gospel. You will be my witness here locally to your family and friends. You will go to Judea, to the outer rings of where you are, and to the ends of the earth, or more specifically, to the edges of the Roman Empire. In other words, you will be pretty indiscriminate as to where you will go and be my witnesses. You will take this gospel everywhere. That's our job. That's your job. And I think it's very important that we not forget about another place that Jesus includes in that, uh, in that you know, description of where they will go. He says, you also go to Samaria. And some of you understand that Samaria was a place where Jews didn't particularly go, particularly because there were Samaritans there. And so the Samaritans were people they didn't particularly care for. They didn't particularly like. They had very little in common with them. They didn't agree with their faith practices. They thought they were pagan. They were not lovers of God. And so the Jews didn't deal with Samaritans. So, so for Jesus to include in that description of where we're supposed to go and be his witnesses, he's including in that description. He's including in the places where he's dispatching us that we're also to go to people we don't like that much. People that rub us the wrong way. People who wear, you know, their hair the way that we don't like them to wear. The people who vote along political lines that we don't particularly respect. The people that might parent their children in ways that you don't particularly respect. All those folks, man, the people who, you know, you don't like, Jesus includes that in the description of where we're supposed to go. Here, near, and far away, we're supposed to be as witnesses, and that even includes Samaria. So Jesus is talking to his apostles. What does that mean for us here today? What does that mean for us here today? And that's what I want to unpack, and I just want to talk about that today. And I want to give us six very super practical ways that we can proclaim the gospel with our mouth. We can go into the places that we live with the people that we do life with and even those chance encounters with people that we don't know. We can take these six things and we can proclaim the gospel. If I were to ask, uh, just do a poll of how many of you regularly share the gospel with people on on a daily basis, we would probably have an, an embarrassingly low number. Some of us feel ill-equipped, some of us are indifferent, some of us don't know what to say, and so on and so forth. And so, for the purposes of today, I, I just really don't want to waste this series by just talking about the gospel and getting excited about a gospel without giving you some practical steps to take this outside of these doors and to work it out. Six super practical things that will put us on the right track as it relates to, to, to sharing our faith. Are we ready? So two of you are ready. I'm going to talk to the two of you. Because the other ones are perhaps sleep somewhere. But the first thing that I think we need to do, I don't think we need to do this, but the first thing I know we need to do in response to what Jesus has said is that we need to understand something. We need to square away in our hearts that it is our job to share the gospel. This is a starting point. We need to square away in our hearts that it is our job. It's my job. It's your job to share the gospel. You know, we, 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 there's so many things that we focus on as Christians. So many things that we focus on as church people. I'm not saying it's bad things that we focus on. I just think that our priorities tend to be screwed up. Uh, we're more concerned with the color of the chair or, you know, the chairs or the, the color of the paint in the children's room or whether or not, you know, they played that song that you like. We're concerned about all those things. We'll fight about those things. We'll split churches about all those things. 
but we don't really care to proclaim the good news of, of the kingdom of heaven. And I think the problem for some of us is not that we don't know it. It's just that we haven't squared away in our hearts that this is our job. Love a quote by James Montgomery Boyce, the great commentary writer, the great theologian. He says, the church that is not witnessing is not obeying the Lord. The church that is not witnessing is not obeying the Lord. And by church, he doesn't mean the preacher that isn't preaching good. He means the church, us, you and me. If we're not witnessing, if we're not proclaiming the good news, every opportunity we get, if we haven't told somebody lately, then we're simply not obeying the Lord. I want that to sink in for a second. I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say that to make you ashamed. I don't say that to guilt you into proclaiming the gospel because we, we probably both know that it doesn't work that way. We all know it doesn't work that way. But I want to put it to you that God has entrusted us with a job to do. And if we don't choose to do that job, we don't choose to engage that task, then we're simply not obeying God. Doesn't matter how much money you put in, doesn't matter whether or not you've shaken the preacher's hand, doesn't matter any of that stuff, all God wants us to do is be obedient. All he wants us to do is do what he says and obey him. And if we're not witnessing, we're not obeying him. And Jesus says it plainly in several places in Scripture. The Great Commission, go into all the worlds, make disciples, preach, baptize, teach them. Explains to us that this is our job. Tells us in the passage we just read that you will go and be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Has this matter been settled in your heart? Has it been settled in your heart? Do you believe the gospel? Many of you would say yes. If so, we got to start doing the stuff. We got to start doing the stuff. If Jesus gives us a mandate to continue his ministry on this earth, somebody's got to start believing the Bible and somebody's actually got to start doing it. Has this matter been settled in your heart that this is your job. And I want to talk to some of you who struggle um, because, not because you don't believe the gospel, not because it hasn't radically changed your life, but you perhaps today have the misunderstanding that there are levels to Christianity. You know, there are tiers to this. And that they're the really, really, like really, really sold out Christians, like the super saints, those are people that, that they preach and like they pray and maybe they're worship leaders and maybe they do crusades and stuff like that. And those are like the super, that's the high level Christians and they're just like a stone's throw away from like Jesus. And then there's the middle p- folks who are kind of intense, you know, they don't curse and stuff like that and, you know, they shovel their walk when it snows and they're, they're the good Christians. And then there's the, the bottom tier. These are folks who, they're not really that spiritual, they don't really care that much about it. And so, you know, I'm just kind of one of those levels that I don't really, you know, I don't really, God doesn't really require that of me. And I just want to just, I just want to give you just a basic uh, uh, um, reorientation as it relates to what it means to be a disciple. There's one kind of disciple. There's one. And that is the disciple that follows and obeys Jesus. There's different, so varying levels of spiritual maturity, just as there are varying levels of sort of natural maturity and even emotional children, uh, maturity with, you know, within the spectrum of adults, right? Humans. But there's one type of disciple. There's one type. And that's the type who believes the message of the kingdom of God and obeys, even to their own hurt, even to their own discomfort, obeys the words of Jesus. And so if we understand that there's not tears to this and that everybody is expected to be witnesses, it's everybody's job that follows Jesus, then all of a sudden we have a different approach to whose job it is and what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. So proclaiming the gospel is not just for the super saints. It's not just for the preachers. It's not for just those who communicate well or those who talk good. Moses tried to use that excuse with the Lord when the Lord told him to go and do his bidding. And Moses said, look, I don't speak that well. And that wasn't enough to get him off the hook. 
well, I'm not a great communicator. I, I can't do this, or I kind of stutter, or this, that, and the other. Paul says, it's not an excuse. If you believe the gospel, then it's your job to tell somebody about it. You will be my witnesses. And I think something changes within us, folks, once we understand that something is our job. We can get real complacent about things so long as we feel like it's optional. So long as we feel like somebody else might pick up the slack or maybe somebody else is more equipped. But it's altogether different when we realize that it's our job. I'll give you an example. On Sunday, Sunday evening, we had our uh, quarterly leaders meeting here. Um, at the church. It's fantastic to get our leaders together to just kind of celebrate some wins, talk about some things that we need to tweak. And so one of the things that I've been doing lately at leadership meetings, specifically because our focus as leaders and as a church is to make disciples, I have our leaders get out a clean sheet of paper, I give them a pen, and I say to them this. I say, listen, write on this paper the names of the people who if I asked them or somebody put a mic in front of their mouth to tell their testimony, your name would come up because you've discipled them, because you've worked with them, because you have been invested in their life. Write down the list of people. I'll give you a couple minutes. Write down the list of people who would put your name on their lips as somebody who's helped them. They're closer to Jesus. They're closer in their particular area of ministry. They're more refined as a follower of Jesus because of you. Go. Right? And so some are scribbling furiously, others are nervously twirling their pens, and people are thinking, and, you know, some people have a list, long list, and other people have no, no, nobody on their list. And basically, the goal of the exercise is to make us aware of whether or not we're actually making disciples, right? So one person, uh, one of our leaders uh, who I talked to this week said he was just really troubled by the fact that he had, he didn't tell me how many people he had on this list, but he was unhappy, he was unsettled by the number of people that were on his list, and so that had been on his heart, and he had sort of squared it away that that was his role, and just sort of had his radar, you know, detectors up for opportunities to disciple and encourage, and he said one of the days this week, he, he, he was late for his train, or he left something at home so he couldn't get on the train, so he was stuck and stranded at the train station. And he saw a young man there, and he struck up a conversation and went across the street to the Starbucks and spent an hour and a half with that gentleman just, talk, just talking with him. Now, he didn't say that the guy accepted Christ and that he began to wail and weep and that demons came out of him. He didn't say anything like that. But he was so blessed that he had an opportunity to talk and relate to this young man. I think they connected on Facebook. But what, 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 what made the difference? What made the difference is that his awareness was raised to the fact that this was his job. It was his job. Now, the person that I'm talking about, Jordan back there, he's a photographer. That's his, like, job job. But as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple maker, his job is to always have his antenna up, seeing what the Lord is doing. His job is to be interruptible so that if Jesus would pass along his path, someone that needs encouragement. Somebody that needs to hear the gospel. Somebody that needs to be ministered to. Somebody that needs a smile. Somebody that needs encouragement. He ought to be able to drop what he's doing and be available because he understands that that's his job. So in the same way, for each and every person that is sitting in this place today, regardless of where, the, where you are on the spectrum of faith, we need to understand that it is our job to do this. And trust me, once you square away in your heart that this is your job, you'll have eyes to see things that you formerly missed, and you'll have ears to hear things, ears to hear things that wouldn't have made a lick of difference to you in the past. And some of you have engaged this journey of making uh, disciples and, and sharing your story and sharing the gospel, and you've seen how once you've purposed in your heart to do that, you get all sorts of opportunities, more opportunities than you have time to, to act on. Why? Because you've squared it away in your heart that this is your job. So that's the first thing. What's the second thing? The second thing is to know the gospel, to, to know the good news, to know the good news, to know the gospel, to know what you're talking about. I don't expect you to be a theologian. I don't, I don't expect you to know the Greek and Hebrew. But if we have a, real, a realistic expectation that we will proclaim this thing to the world, we might, we might just need to know what we're talking about. We might be able to put it 
into, you know, English words or Spanish, if you speak Spanish, whatever your, you know, language you're fluent, you might need to put it into words in a, you know, careful and concise way of what the good news is. And so this is why I started with the whole squared away, uh, that it's your job thing, because when you consider something to be your job, you don't mind investing time and energy and resource into training for that job studying for the, the, the responsibilities of that job, right? And so we've taken this out of the hobby category, something that I'll do, like, if I got some spare time, and we've moved this into, this is my responsibility, and as we put it in that category, we train for it. All of a sudden, we're looking for, we, if our understanding is shallow, then we have to deepen it. If we've got questions, then we've got to ask those of, uh, questions of people who might be able to give us answers. We got to study. We got to get connected. We got to rehearse this. This is serious business. And so I'm going to do something real quick. I'm going to pick three people just randomly, and what I want them to do is come up here, and I want you to share the gospel with the uh, with with the audience. Ready? Now I'm not going to do that, but your heart just sank down to your feet, didn't it? <laughs> My goodness. It's okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But if your heart's racing right now, that's a red flag, right? It may be racing because you're just kind of nervous or you don't like public speaking, but I, I'm, you know who I'm talking to right now, right? Some of you are, oh my goodness, please, Lord, just come right now. Like, <laughs> just take us before this embarrassing event, right? So I wouldn't do that to you. But, but some of you just, you, you, you wouldn't know what to say. You wouldn't know what to say. And so you don't say anything. And you know the gospel, right? You know that Jesus loves you and that he died for you. I mean, you, you know it, but, you know, it would come out as mush if, if you had to articulate it to someone else. And I'm just saying, listen, folks, we can't reasonably expect to proclaim the gospel if we don't know what to say, if we haven't become comfortable with saying it. And so all throughout this series and all throughout all of our teaching series, I mean, because we, we, we almost exclusively talk about the gospel here, we solidify the following things, that Christ, you know, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Sent his son to die for us because our problem was sin. Right? And the penalty for sin is death. And the way God's system works out, somebody's got to pay for that. And so to get you and me off the hook, the Lord sent his son, God sent his son to die in our place. Not just die in our place, but to live this life as a human and give us an example of how to do that. And so through that whole process of Christ taking on the punishment, the penalty for our sins, it freed us from the penalty of our sins so that we cannot just spend eternity with God forever, but that we can live right now the abundant life. That's the good news. You're not on the hook for your sin. Christ has paid the penalty. And because of that reality, you can be a new person. Not in the sweet by and by, but right now, you can live the abundant life. and You can be made new right now. That's the good news. And that is available to anybody who would receive and put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And so you can say that however you want, as long as you don't add anything or take anything away, as long as that's the essence of the message. You can lengthen it, you can shorten it, you can put it in a poem, you can sing it in a rap song, whatever you do, that's the gospel, whatever your flavor is, right? But we got to understand the basics. And so if you are, um, if you are a new Christian or you're perhaps even a seasoned Christian, but you wrestle with just some of the basics, not too long ago, we did a series called Back to the Basics, a series through the, uh, the book of Romans, and that's on our website. If you go to our website and you uh, go uh, look under the sermon series, Back to the Basics. It's a very low-shelf, informative series on the, just the basics of the gospel. I would recommend that you start there if you're just looking for some sort of grassroots-level stuff as to how to explain the gospel, how to wrap your mind around it. It's important. Listen, whatever you got to do, Google it if you have to. Whatever you need to do, you need to understand the gospel. You need to be able to know what you're talking about. Otherwise, you won't share it. Can we agree that we won't share it if we don't know it? All right, third thing. You actually have to open your mouth. Right? <laughs> no, we got a few smart lags in the room, you know, just open their mouth. I'm not talking about that. You actually have to say stuff. 
Now, it would be nice if everybody just had a little USB port on their back, and so you had the gospel on a flash drive, and you just walk up to people on the train, you know, just download the gospel into them. That would be really nice. It would really be easy. But that's, you know, we don't come with that feature. How God expects for his message to get out is that we will tell people, and we will talk about it. He certainly expects us to live it, as David pointed out last week, but you have to open your mouth, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. You believe this is good news? You do? Who have you told lately? I don't want an answer. I just want to think about it a second. Who have you told lately? You talk about here, you know, near and far away in those realms of your life. Who, who, who have you told? Who have you explained the gospel to lately? Many of us would say zero people. Some of us would say very few. And other of us who really internalize this, particularly those who feel like you have the gift you know, of evangelism, it comes easy to you, might have a really high number. But I ask you the question, who have you told lately? Because that's really, that's really a, a telling number. And what's sad about this reality is that we're such loudmouths about just silly things. Is it, is it true? I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a loudmouth. I mean, if, you, if you're a loudmouth, fine, you know. But occasionally, let there be something of value, you know, that you are loudmouthing about. And so when we think about, you know, I mean, we live in an era of social media where much of our conversation and dialogue gets cataloged forever on our timelines and our feeds, Right? And so I ought to be able to go to your thing and, and be able to figure out what you're about, man. Somebody ought to be able to read me the transcripts of what you talk about every day. And I, I should be able to ascertain through reading and, you know, hearing what you talk about all the time, just what you're about. And some of us about, are about a lot of good and noble things because we talk about good and noble things. May it be social causes may it be politics, may it be parenting, may it be sports, and all that sort of stuff, but as followers of Jesus, if he never comes up in the conversation, then that ought to give us cause for concern. And again, this isn't trying to manipulate you or to guilt you into being a proclaimer of the gospel. This is just trying to put a mirror up in front of you today and say, well, who are you? Where are you? What do you talk about? What do you talk about? And so you'd be surprised once you spend some time squaring away in your heart that it's your job and you take your job seriously so you learn and you get some language around your thoughts and language around your core convictions, you would be surprised how many opportunities you are presented with to open your mouth and say something. And say something. You'll be sitting in the barbershop and the Lord just throwing you softballs all day long as you sit in the chair. This person over here asking this question. This person piping up about this. And you have all these opportunities to speak some righteous truth into an atmosphere of noise and foolishness. And take your light from under the basket and let it shine in this dark place. To speak some truth and speak some light into the dark places that we regularly visit because we don't have any choice. Because we work in a dark place. We go to school in a dark place. Some of you might live in a dark place, depending on who your roommates and your family are. And the Lord's given us opportunity after opportunity to be his witnesses, to tell people with our mouths about him. And to be a witness, you actually have to say something. You have to open your mouth. You have to open your mouth. Fourth thing this morning You'll need to be yourself. You'll need to be yourself. And that's more important and that's more significant than you think. Do you know, one of my favorite things to do is to, to watch um, crime dramas, you know. I can't sleep. I just turn on, like, Law and Order or something like that. And I love the crime dramas. I especially like the original Law and Order because it has, the, you know, the first half of it is, like, the police doing their work. But then the second half is, you know, the, the courtroom stuff. I love the courtroom stuff. Maybe I should have been a, an attorney. Maybe, maybe not. 
But I enjoy the court scenes because I like to see the cross-examinations and I like to see the, the things that are going on. And what I picked up about, you know, watching witnesses on the witness stand is that they want those witnesses to be as authentic as possible. They want to make sure that the witness is saying the right stuff, but they want their account to be believable. And even sometimes there are scenes where the attorneys are coaching the witnesses and they're constantly coaching them to be themselves and to use natural language and to do all this other stuff. Why? Because in order for the witness to be credible, uh, they have to be comfortable. And I think you're only comfortable if you're being yourself. I'll be the first to admit, as a professional Christian, uh, one who gets paid to be a Christian and to preach and to lead a congregation like this, that one of the things that I always, always work hard to do is to be myself up here. Because it's very hard. I should say it's very easy to become somebody else when you stand up here. And one of the great tragedies of preaching for me would be for my children to sit in these seats and not recognize me up here. For my wife to sit in these seats or somebody that knows me well to look up and say, who is that guy? Who is that guy? And so it becomes really easy for me to be the hero of all of my stories. It's easy for me to talk in a, you know, preacherly way. Now, there's some art to presentation, and this is, you know, this is a craft. This is a skill. So I, I'm just not shooting the breeze up here. So there's some, you know, there's some art to this. But there's a line that can cross where I'm being somebody else up here. And some of you know people like that. And so I would hate for my sons to be saying, man, who is that guy that looks, he looks a lot like my dad, but I don't recognize him. And so in the same way, it's real easy to become somebody else when you slip into evangelism mode. And some of you used to be that person, and others of you know people like that, and you're like, is this person from out of space, why are they talking like that? Why are they using those, why, why are they being weird? And I would just say that the gospel is too important to de-authenticate it with your fakeness and with your lack of authenticity. And so there's nobody more guilty than this than, than preachers. You know, preachers, when they get in their preacher mode, I mean, some of them just have a completely different language. They just talk completely different. Now, I got some buddies, man, who they're, they're kind of weird in the pulpit, but they're the same level of weird like at McDonald's, you know. <laughs> they got that preacher, you know, tone like this. And, but if you go to McDonald's, they order a quarter pounder that way. Give me the old quarter pounder and cheese, hallelujah. I mean, they talk like that. And so I'm less put off by it because it means it's the same everywhere, right? But the challenge is that when we feel like we got to be somebody else when we're witnessing, we got to be somebody else when we're evangelizing. It's nonsense for two reasons. The first reason is that it's a slap in your creator's face when you feel like you have to be somebody else to do his work. What you're saying, Lord, is you didn't equip me well enough to do your work, and so I have to manufacture somebody who's holier, who's more put together, who's more believable, which is kind of funny because you're not more believable. You know, people can see the fake stuff from a mile away, especially those who are hurting and those who are broken and those who are in need of the kingdom of God. They, they probably are struggling and tired and exhausted because they themselves have been fake and living a life be beneath their sonship, so they can probably pick out from a mile away, those of us who aren't sincerely being who we are. Sincerely being who we are. And understand something, too, that there's a caricature floating around of a church person. I didn't say a follower of Jesus. I had a church, church person. And that caricature is that we're fake and that we're phony and that, there's, that, that we don't have any depth and that we're not authentic. You need to understand that if you don't come off as authentic, your message will be counted as inauthentic as well. And so it behooves us as we share the gospel because it's our job, as we study the gospel because it's our job, as we open our mouth because it's our job, that the language that we wrap around it is our own language. 
right? The mannerisms and our approach is our own because God is usually sending you to people who can relate to the real you, who can pick up what you're putting down. And so to be less than yourself is not being a faithful witness and it will fall, fall flat. God expects us to be ourselves. The other thing that we're expected to do as we uh, extend the kingdom by proclaiming the gospel is that God expects you to tell your story. He expects you to tell your story. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said, which means that you will give your account of how my story has impacted yours. You will tell your story. Now, this puts it really on a low shelf for those of us who really feel inexperienced. We don't have a whole lot of Bible knowledge. You know, we haven't been to seminary. We haven't been hanging around church that long. So our well of Christian knowledge isn't very deep. And so rather than sit on the sidelines, I want to encourage you today. If you don't know any scriptures, if you don't know any sort of commentary on the scriptures, if you don't speak good or you don't speak well, what you do have, what everybody has, you've got your story. You've got your story. And I love the account of the blind man that was healed by Jesus and the, the account that's given in John chapter 6. Jesus heals this guy, sends him on his way. And so this guy is going back to his town. He's healed, and people are, like, marveling over it. So the Pharisees get a hold of this guy and say, man, who, who did this to you? Is it Jesus doing this stuff? Tell us about this Jesus. Is he a prophet? Who gave them the authority to heal? Tell me this, that, and the other guy said, listen, 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 man. I don't know about any of that stuff. All I know is a few moments ago, I couldn't see a thing. All I know is just a few moments ago, you'd talk to me a few moments ago, I would have been bumping into trees and things because I couldn't see. All I know is right now, I can see. And so some of you, you know nothing of the depth of Scripture yet, but you know it's your job, so you're going to learn it. You don't know any of that stuff yet. All you know is that this time last year, you were a mess. You, you were more of a mess. Right? You, we're works in progress. All you know is that, you know, you, you don't recognize yourself, the person you were six months ago. And I don't know exactly how he did it, but I'm different. I don't know exactly how he did it, but I don't stay up all night looking at porn anymore. I don't know exactly how he did it, but I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a new person. That bitterness and that, that, that rage that would just set me off. You know, at, at the drop of a hat, I don't, I don't deal with that, or I don't deal with that as much. I don't get my, you know, identity from sleeping with this person and that person. I talk slower now. I'm more thoughtful because the language I use and the words that I say, I realize they're important. I wasn't that way a year ago. I don't know how he did it, but he made me new. And so if everything else fails, if in a moment where you're conversing with someone, if everything escapes your mind because you're so nervous. You know, what you got in your shirt pocket, wherever you go, is your story. And let me tell you, I've gotten really good at telling my story, even to people who probably don't want to hear my story. In my ch training as a church planter, they say, listen, you've got to have your story. You need a 30-minute version. You need a 15-minute version. You need a five-minute version. You need a two-minute, like, elevator version of it. Study it, rehearse it, know it back and forth just so you can, you're ready to go. And so I've even got good at like, like baiting people into asking me what I do, you know. And if you ask somebody what they do, you know, 99% of those people will ask you what you do. They might not care, but they just want to be polite. And so I'm here starting a church. And I tell that story just about every day of my life. And sometimes it goes nowhere. Sometimes people you know, move faster to get away from me. But every now and then, somebody leans in and somebody wants to engage the conversation. And every now and then, folks turn up here. And even if they don't turn up here, guess what? God's planted a seed in their heart for somebody else to come along and water, and it's the Lord that's going to give the increase, and I don't have to figure that out. But what do I have? I have my story. Do I have a horror story of a testimony? No, I'm a church boy. I grew up south side of Chicago. 
preacher's kid. But God saved me from myself. He kept me. And that's my story. And I'll tell it to anybody who will listen. And I'll tell you also that uh, next week we're going to begin a brand new series, a brand new five-week series called My Story. And so some of you also know that the month of March, uh, my wife and I will be on sabbatical, so we have a bunch of guest speakers coming in, and we've even got some people from our congregation that you'll hear from. And basically what they'll spend the whole month talking about is their story and how the kingdom of God has impacted them and how God has made them new. They will share with you their story. Why is it important to hear people's story? It's important for you to hear how people weave their story, how, how people discuss the intersection of their story and Christ's story to, to, to be credible witness for the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And so hopefully as you engage these stories, you'll be able to find value in your story so that you won't be afraid to share it. We're going to begin that series uh, next week, but it's going to be very important, very significant, very impactful for us. Because God wants you to tell your story. Last thing, it's really important. Some of us can overlook this. And it's that God really, I think God really expects us to invite someone to church. Uh, We don't say that because we want to pack the place, and we do want to pack the place. We don't just say that because the offering might be larger, although we're, we're not, you know, we don't dislike larger offerings. Um, we say that because many people are in touch with the reality that there's somebody that can explain this thing a little bit better than they can. Particularly as it relates to the gospel. The more, you know, uh, meatier uh, matters of the kingdom of heaven, some of you realize that it's like my job to study and it's my job to present this well and I must do an okay job because you keep showing up. Hopefully, maybe you're showing up for some other reason, right? No, but seriously, some of us have squared away that, you know what? My pastor or the person who's preaching that day can do a better job at, you know, consistently explaining the fundamentals and the basics and the essence of the Christian message a little bit better than I can. I can tell you my story. I can love on you. I can connect with you. I can relate to you. But something happens in this room when we're all gathered together. Something happens when the word goes forth. Something happens when we're lifting our voices together in worship. There's something of the Holy Spirit that moves on each and every person that changes us and makes us new. Something happens when we go into God's presence. And so so some of you will encounter people that God just, you have an instant connection with them. And you say, man, this person needs some hope. This person is on the edge. This person can really use. And so, you know, I just think one of the main tools that we have in our tool belt is this Christian community. And I would go further to say that if you go to a church that you're afraid to invite people to, um, you probably need to find another one. I'm not kicking you out because I'm salty because you're not inviting people. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is if you're going to a church and there's some significant reason why you don't feel like you can invite people there, you either need to find a new church or talk with the person in charge and let them know that there are things that are keeping uh, you from inviting people. Because trust me, as a person who runs this place, I want to know that. I want to know that. There's something that making this place inaccessible to your friends. This ought to be a place where you want invite, to invite your boss. It'll be a place where you want to bring your siblings and somebody you want to bring your best friend and somebody you want to bring that hardcore atheist, man, who, 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 who just has an axe to grind with faith. I mean, we want to be a place where you can bring anybody. We'll say, well, what if they you know, have a different uh, uh, opinion of, about sexual orientation or what if they have a different philosophy? Listen, I don't care who it is. Bring them in here. Because if something happens in this room where, you know, this isn't the Geno show. But the Holy Spirit knows what they need to hear. You know, we're not just winging it up here, just coming up with stuff. You know, the same Holy Spirit that can speak to us in a moment can in, in, inform our planning through the week. We trust that Holy Spirit. And so the Lord knows who's going to be here. And I believe that God will speak to those people. And so one of the main things that you can do as you proclaim the gospel, as you do all these things that we talked about, this one thing that you can do that will be really impactful, you can invite them to the table where you regularly eat so that they can partake as well. And so an easy way to do that, on the back table, there's a stack of invitations. There's small ones, there's large ones. 
And so we, we print those up for very good reason, so that you can hand those out, and so that you can say, listen, I take those things everywhere, man. I, I, I leave them in local businesses. You know, sometimes I come back the next day and they're in the garbage. I'm like, dang, you know, uh, fish them out real quick and put them back. <laughs> but it's very important. I, I love what we do here. We've seen lives transformed. That's what we do. And so invite someone to church. Worship team, you can come up. Here's the big picture, guys. Have you squared away in your heart that this is your job? And some of you said, not yet, but I'm closer today than I was yesterday. And that's cool. If you've squared this away in your heart that it's your job, the Lord says to us today, how will we respond? What will you do, what will you do differently today, now that you know, than you did yesterday? What might you have your antenna up to hear and perceive now that you didn't in days past? And so my challenge for you is to take these things, to write them on your heart, and to help it inform and shape your actions moving forward. Wrap some language around the gospel. Open your mouth. Be yourself. Tell your story. Invite somebody to church so that God can do in their life what he's done in yours. Go tell it, folks. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for what you've done in our own life. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us new. Yeah, we've got, we've got work to do. We've, we're a work in progress. We've not arrived yet, Lord, but we're not the person that we used to be. And we can't take any credit for that. That's because of your goodness. That's because of your faithfulness. That's because of your unfailing love. And because we're grateful, and because this is good news, Lord, we will share it with anybody who will listen. So, Lord, first today we repent for not obeying you. We repent, Lord, for using excuses that sort of gets us out of the responsibility of paying forward the gospel that has been spoken to us with truth and authenticity. Lord, we repent for not being ourselves. Lord, we're sorry for leaving this work to someone else. And Lord, we vow to lean in today. We vow to lean in today to be your witnesses, telling people about you everywhere we go, here, near, and far away. We ask that you bless our efforts in Jesus' name. Amen.